welcome back to the second and two podcast i'm your host tb with my co-host and i i all the all the things jody yeah there we go and that's short and sweet for the first yeah. time in a hot minute i like yeah. it but uh, uh you know we're back to everyone you know it's been a week for us it's been it's been some time you know <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh, been an yeah, evening here. i believe we're talking the nfc south right nfc south today NFC yeah south, yeah yeah, a lot of young um, guns over there that we talked about in uh, on all our previews. I was oh, definitely. Early. But uh, well, yeah, I know you got some interesting facts coming our way. Well, what do you got? I didn't look at those this week, so if you got questions, there we go. I can I can ask you I can ask you some fun stuff. Okay, we'll yeah. see if uh, see if Jody's up on his football knowledge. Yeah, um, we're uh, we're doing double duty this week since I'm moving next week and will likely be unable to record. So. Um, Jody's graciously allowed us to uh, record back-to-back days here. So, what's one week in your time is uh, has been like 24 hours in our time. Um, this is good. I could see Joe twice in one week, you know. Um, but looking at the NFC South, Joe, did you know all four teams have won this division since 2015? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, the that was the last time the Panthers won it, and oh. in that time, okay. um, the Falcons, the Saints, and then the Buccaneers have all won it since then. So yeah, 2015 was the last time the Panthers won it, and since then, on the other three teams have won it as well. So all four. Did you also know? All four teams have reached the Super Bowl since 2009. That's when the Saints made in one, and then you know the rest follows. We got Tom Brady for the Bucks, Cam Newton, as I just said, and the Falcons, you know, the Falcons. Matty Ice. Hurting, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you know this, too? They're the only, there's only one other division that can say they've had um, teams That's make the that thing. the Super Bowl in the same time frame and also have had that many, you know, all four teams win the division in the same time frame. You know which division it is? If I had to guess. It's gotta be. This, you said the Super Bowl as well, making the Super. Bowl? Yeah, been been to the Super Bowl and won the division in that same sort of time frame since about two thousand nine. There's only so many options, I think. Like, like, but the thing there's is, only seven other divisions. No, <laughs> so, no, no. But I mean, like, like in terms of like thinking who's been in the Super Bowl. Like, I mm-hmm. think since then, probably maybe the Colts, for sure, the Patriots, right, and. The, and the Bucks, as you just said, but that that discounts because we already said that they've all done it. You got You got to uh, think divisions, man. Divisions. But, okay, but like the teams I'm mentioning, like okay, we can go AFC West, but that's wrong. Chargers haven't done it since then. I don't. Yep. Know. Okay. Good. Now I see how you're thinking. This is good. Yeah. Process of elimination. Teams, but you know that's yeah. That doesn't. Okay. Matter. Obviously, the Broncos have made it. They were 2015. Beat the the Panthers, as we just said. But but, the, but like you said, the Chargers not, haven't made it. Out. They're already out. They're already out. Uh, Patriots division. I don't know. Bills. Bills haven't. Okay. There neither. Go. Neither of the Jets. Now you're helping me, but <laughs> yeah. I was gonna yeah. say the Jets, but I feel like the Jets did. Or were they 2008? No, they they, they the, and they yeah. only made it to the AFC Championship oh, games well, with Sanchez. Sorry, I was giving Mark Sanchez more props than he, I guess, gets. I like this. Is fun. It's, 
the Steelers definitely. I feel like no one else in their division has made a suit. Well, the Ravens they did. Who else is all there? three teams in that division? The Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers, but not the Browns. Mm, they're, 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 oh yeah, that makes sense. Baker, who we're talking about today, was there. Yeah, we can so talk about Baker the today. NFC, there's no. I don't think the Cowboys have made it. Mm. So that, that there's the West. No, obviously uh, that's the East. The so we, yeah, that's the answer. No, saying, the, oh, the Cowboys I, are part of the NFC East. Ah, uh, yeah, but you know what? I just found the answer. It's the West. Mm. The NFC Niners West. The Niners lost. The Rams won. Rams, Rams lost and won. Broncos, and the Cardinals when Played the Kurt Steelers. Mm-hmm. So there you go. NFC West, the only other division that's had that same kind of run in that, in that time frame. So, yeah. Um, it's uh, every team in the division has won the division at least four times. So it's a really competitive division. It's a division of parity. Um, one of the more competitive divisions consistently in football. Um, last year, it was the only division to have every team win at least seven games. Also, the only team that did not have a winning, also the only division that did not have a winning team. It didn't have a team with a yeah, winning yeah. record. Yeah. So kind of interesting, top to bottom, separated by only one game as, as we'll go through. But the Bucks won the division at 8-9. Everyone else was 7-10. and 10. So it's, it's a really interesting division. On the one hand, you look at it and you're like, this division isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it kind of feels wide open, like anybody could really win the division, right? In just historically, this division has been all about the quarterbacks. Um, you know, the Falcons' best years were with Matt Ryan when he won the MVP, went to the Super Bowl, nearly had it won, except for Tom Brady. Um, the Panthers' best years were with Cam Newton. He had an MVP Super Bowl year there, lost to the Broncos, of course. The Saints' best years were with Drew Brees, who surprisingly never won an MVP, but was fantastic in New Orleans. Obviously had the, the great run when they beat Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. And then, of course, the Buccaneers, their best years being, at least most recently, with, with Tom Brady. Right. So all four teams really have made their big-time Super Bowl pushes when they've had you know, one of, if not arguably, the best quarterback in the league for a season. Right. True. So common theme for every team going into this season is – do they have a legitimate quarterback? I mean, we're going to ask the same question about every team, really. I mean, yeah, really, when you look at it. say the same thing when we got to that point in time. It's like, oh, we got a common theme here. <laughs> it's, it is. It's a common theme among all the teams. And it really, whichever team gets the best play from the quarterback is probably going to win this division in 2023. That's been historically true. And I, I would say is going to continue to be true this year. Whoever gets the best play out of their quarterback is going to win the division. It was the same question mark last year, just that the Bucks had Brady and they made it happen. Even with 45-year-old Brady, he was the best quarterback in the division. They won the division. I think the same will be the case in this year. And we're going to ask that question about all four teams. And then, you know, coming away, it'll probably, at least from how things look right now, it'll make sense why we kind of have these teams finishing where, they, where we think they'll finish, right? True. Yeah. I will say we, we agreed a lot on the – on the division when I was putting in my records, but mm-hmm. I will say I think I was a lot more critical uh, this time around as opposed to normal. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, it's it's interesting because they're all kind of in a similar space. I think obviously the Buccaneers feel the most, I guess, behind if you will, just because they're the team that's starting truly over this year with with a new quarterback, and it's not a high a high pick at quarterback, right? It's 
okay, Kyle Trask or Baker Mayfield, whereas, you know, the Panthers are starting over, but they got the the number one pick. And, yeah. you know, the Saints are kind of starting over, but they traded for a veteran. And the Falcons are bringing in a second-year guy. So they're all kind of in a similar place with, with slight differences, right, in terms of yeah. their approach to the quarterback position this year, but all debuting what will likely be, you know, new full-time starters for all four teams, which is – which is really different, and that's why it's so up for grabs. You know, that's why the division is so up for grabs, and it's really dependent on that quarterback play. So, taking it off, we got the the Saints. We're looking at the Saints. They went seven and ten last year. Kind of tough, you know. They had quarterback issues. They had Jamison. You know, started off, I think, and you got to go between. What was it, Andy Dalton and like Taysom Hill? Was that what they were? Yeah, about? yeah. They finished third in the division, meaning that they missed out on the playoffs. Yeah, they had some interesting losses this season. You know, this off season, um, a guy who they drafted a few years back, who had been you know a consistent player for them, um, D. Lyman Marcus Davenport was probably the most significant loss of the off season. They also lost D. Lyman David Onyemata. They lost the linebacker in Caden Ellis, uh, quarterback Andy Dalton, wide receiver Deontay Hardy, wide receiver Jar- Jarvis Landry, wide receiver Marquez Hall- Callaway. So a lot of guys, you know, a lot of new receivers in that receiver room this year. They also lost the veteran cornerback Chris Harris Jr., who's kind of probably at the end of his career at, at the point that he was at anyway. Um, and then also lost the D lineman and and Shy Tuttle, but. Um, they made some interesting additions. Obviously, the biggest, big, big-name addition coming in the form of quarterback Derek Carr. Um, they also brought in some some D-line help, obviously, with the, the loss of a lot of D-linemen, um, bringing in uh, Nathan Shepard as well as Kalen Sanders. They brought in running back Jamal Williams, which was kind of unheralded, but I think that could be a – he seems to be like a tone setter, big-time locker room presence, um, was a – Really important in Detroit, and I do think um, they'll, he'll be missed there for sure. Um, and so he's, he could be a big-time addition in New Orleans. Um, also, um, awesome story with, with Foster Moreau, a guy who they had signed, failed the physical because you know they found out he had cancer when he went in for the physical, and he got some different treatments, some different stuff going on, and based on everything we've heard right now, he's cancer-free now. So now... He signed a contract with them and he is going to be with them and likely will be like a big time presence at tight end for them. So um, that's always an awesome story. And then a, another guy who's kind of a bigger name. I don't know how much he'll be able to contribute for him. We'll see. But, um, you know, former first round pick of the Raiders, Jonathan Abram at safety is another guy who signed with them this offseason. There you go. Seems like they uh, like the people out in Las Vegas, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But looking at their NFL draft pickups, look, as you talked about, they lost a lot of defensive dudes, so they beefed up their line over there. They got D lineman Brian Brisse. I'm gonna go with that. I, I know I struggled with it when we talked about him. I'm sure yeah. about that one. Uh, and then they added uh, Isaiah Foskey as an edge rusher. Mm-hmm. They also picked up a couple other guys later later rounds too. Um, Kendra Miller, the running back from TCU, and then. Kind of a less heralded quarterback, but a lot of people compared his game to Drew Brees, which is, you know, obviously high praise. Um, Jay Kaner, the quarterback from Fresno State, who was probably the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl, um, 
which, you know, the senior bowl quarterbacks this year were, I would say, subpar compared to what's been there previously. Yeah. However, he he did stand out as the best one um, and got a little bit of buzz. And so he was the guy that they added as a young player to their roster. There you go. And you said Fresno State. That's where our guy Derek Carr went to. There you go. Fresno State quarterback room. Yeah. And the coaching staff and management, the New Orleans Saints are rolling with. They got general manager Mickey Loomis. That's a fun name. Head coach Dennis Allen. Uh, the offensive corner being Pete Carmichael and D coordinator Joe Woods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, year two for Dennis Allen. Mickey Loomis has been there forever, obviously. And then, uh, you know, they're they're trying to get their self, themselves on track offensively. Obviously, Pete Carmichael was there during the um, the years with um, Sean Payton. And so they largely ran a similar offense to what they had done with Sean Payton in years past last year. And I anticipate that will be similar. And their their thought process is the remedy for everything is getting a truly healthy Michael Thomas back and, and a new quarterback in Derek Carr. And just looking at their depth chart, uh, up front, you know, at the left tackle, Trevor Penning has been solid for them. Similarly, solid has been Andres Pete at the left guard. Uh, Eric McCoy comes back at center. Cesar Ruiz, another guy who's been solid for them at a guard spot. And then uh, Ryan Ramchek at right tackle. Uh, pretty good offensive line, honestly. And that was part of the reason why it was tough to watch them last year, being that they had such a good offensive line and they just struggled at some of the skill positions and at quarterback. And I'm sure this. This offensive line didn't have a fun time with the struggles of you know the guys behind them because they they do a good job up front. You know, they also have some depth um, with Alex Phil, uh, Pilstrom backing backing up Eric McCoy at center, and then um, Calvin Throckmorton as a swing guard guy who can who gives them depth as well. And then kind of going back, you know, obviously Derek Carr is the quarterback this year. Sort of went under the radar, but they were able to retain Jameis Winston as the backup. Yeah. Um, which is important, I think. If anything were to happen to Carr, at least you have a proven guy that has played in New Orleans for the last few years, understands Pete Carmichael's system, and, and had some success before he suffered a, a really unfortunate injury. Um, yeah, and it, it sucks. A good uh, locker room presence for the guy. Yeah, he seems, he seems to be well-liked there. Um, and he seems to like it there. Obviously, he would love to be a starter. I saw a story not too long ago about him and just how he feels like where he's at in his career. He's not content being a backup, but he also understands there weren't a lot of opportunities for him to be a starter, and he's comfortable in New Orleans, and he feels like this is a place where he can be successful if he were to get the chance. And so I think that's kind of what he's going with. And then uh, obviously behind him, behind those two, obviously uh, I, I mentioned um, the Jay Kaner, the rookie out of Fresno State yeah. as well. At running back, they have a they have an interesting running back room. Obviously, Alvin Kamara. Um, we're not sure what could possibly happen with him in terms of a. Uh, I don't know. They've they've been talking about suspension with him still for for an incident that seems to have happened so long ago. I I don't know if that's still a thing that could happen. But I think they'll be solid at running back regardless, just because they brought in Jamal Williams, they drafted Kendra Miller. Those are three really capable players. Obviously Alvin Kamara is explosive and that's the guy you want on the field as much as possible. At the receiver spots, you know, Michael Thomas at the X receiver, they brought in James Washington, another guy who's played in the league for a little bit of time can be a backup, give them some depth there. 
at the slot position, interesting position battle between Traycon Smith, a guy who's been there for quite some time, and then Rashid Shahid battling it out for that starting spot. And then at the Z spot, you bring back Chris Olave, who was awesome in year one, and uh, Keith Kirkwood, another guy who's been there for a little while. So they have plenty of depth at receiver this year with getting, especially getting Michael Thomas back healthy. That's a big, uh, big time deal for them. Jarvis Landry is still out there as a free agent too. And I, I don't know that it's like entirely impossible. He might be a guy that comes back. I know I counted him as a key loss oh. um, because he's not signed anywhere right now, but it could be possible. They bring him back maybe on a team friendly deal at the tight end position. I mentioned Foster Moreau. I also have Jawan Johnson that gives them more depth. So their skill possessions positions look to be better this year just because they're healthier, I think. And obviously having a healthy, stable quarterback in Derek Carr should give them a lot more stability offensively and let them let them be more successful. Uh, defensively, uh, Stallworth at the edge spot, Cam Jordan has just been the heart of their defense for so many years now. Um, they bring in... It basically brand new guys on the interior of their defensive line with um, Brian Breesey, Kalen Sanders, Nathan Shepard, and then Malcolm Roach. Those are kind of four four guys inside that will play a big role for them this year. And then on the edge, they also have Isaiah Foskey, who will be in a position battle with Carl Granderson to be the starter, I think, out there. Um, I'm projecting Foskey will probably win that battle at some point, but Carl Granderson's coming along nicely for them. He may be a guy that keeps that job. So we'll see at the will backer spot. You've got Pete Werner and then at Mike to Mario Davis, who's been awesome for them for a few years now. They also have DeMarco Jackson giving them depth at that spot at the nickel corner spot. Bradley Roby has been pretty good. And then uh, in the back end, they've got some, some depth there with Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus May, Tyron Matthew, and Paulson Adebo. They also have uh, quite a bit of guys in the in the back end at safety who give them some depth. M- Smoke Monday, Jordan Howden, and then I mentioned Jonathan Abram as a signing in this offseason. So I do like their depth on defense. Um, they were fairly productive defensively last year, and that, that didn't seem to be their problem. It really was inconsistencies on offense. So we'll see what they do this year. I will say that the defensive backroom sounds really good. I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't I didn't even realize until right now that they had all those dudes on there. Yeah. <laughs> but looking at the schedule for the, the Saints, they're rolling with week one versus the Titans at home. Week two and three, they're on the road. They get a Monday night game and their first divisional game versus the Panthers. Then they got the pay, uh, sorry, the Packers in Lambeau week three. Then they got they host the Bucks, their second divisional game right there. Week five and six, they're on the road. They play the Patriots and then the Texans. Let's see, where am I? Week seven, we got the Jaguars on a Thursday night game. You know, surprising compared to the last division, they have. It seems like they already got more more primetime games. Mm-hmm. But week eight, they travel to Indianapolis to face the Colts. That could be a fun one. You know, Richardson maybe figuring things out by then, and. We have ourselves a ball game. Week nine, they host the Bears at home. Now that sounds like a really fun game. Yeah, I agree. Actually, 
we Justin Field, you know, figuring things out these days. And that's what I'm saying. I th- no matter, I don't know how good the Bears will be, and that's obviously a podcast for another day. But I do think Justin Fields makes them a fun watch. Yeah, it's like a, it's like that that league pass. It's like the league pass basketball team where you're like, oh, this team is like has like 30 wins, but they've got this young, exciting player that you want to watch and see what he yeah, does and yeah. see if he's getting better. You know. Uh, week ten, they travel out to to Minnesota to face the Vikings. <laughs> and week eleven, they got their bye week. I don't know. Okay, this is a, this is quick off topic. Did you ever see the the Scott Van Pelt commercial growing up, where it was like he, he's trying to figure out what team this dude plays for for baseball, and he's like small, <laughs> tiny people in Minnesota. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Scott, Scott Van Pelt is the best. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. Scott Van Pelt is awesome. <laughs> All right, so back back to the schedule. We got week 12. They they go away to Atlanta facing the Falcons. So this will – they'll get to play everyone in their division before they play them again, which is nice. First time I think we've seen that. Mm-hmm. And the, knowingly enough, the Falcons also coming off a bye. Week 13 and 14, they stay at home. They face the Lions and then the Panthers. That Lion game sounds pretty wild. Another another team we're probably going to look forward to talking about and viewing later on. Yeah. Oh, I guess they get a three-game home stretch. My bad. They also play the Giants week 15 at home. Yeah. And then they got two road games. They go out to L.A. to face the Rams on a Thursday night game. And then week 17, they go to Tampa Bay. And then they close out the year at home facing the Falcons. Yeah, um, I think the Saints have one of the easier schedules in the league. Um, I don't see them playing a team on the schedule right now that is a clear Super Bowl contender. Um, I would say the best teams on their schedule, you know, at least – based on what we know last year, what we might be projecting this year, like the best team in their schedule might be the Lions. Depends on how you feel about the Vikings, right? Maybe the Giants, the Rams. Like those are, you know, it just depends. Again, and the Rams are really like, do you think Stafford's bouncing back? And do you think (laughs) McVay is going to get things right? Right. Like, but yeah, like the teams that are the best returning teams based on this, on how things shook up last year is, is the Vikings, the Lions and the Panthers. And I don't think you would say any of those games are like super difficult games. Plus they get two out of those three at home. And the one that they got on the road for is Minnesota. So in, in general, this is a pretty light schedule. Oh, and the Jaguars are another team that I think will be pretty good this year that they have to play. But again, in general, this is a pretty light schedule. I think they play, you know, the, their divisional games, we anticipate the Panthers, the Bucks and the Falcons getting six of, so you know, six of your games against those opponents, you would figure if New Orleans is any good, they got to go four and two, right, against those teams, and then you have games against the Colts and the Bears and the Texans, who all have young quarterbacks that they're going to be breaking in. Um, we we mentioned, you know, yesterday when we talked about the AFC South, like the Titans being a team that's still figuring itself out and what's going on with the quarterback position there. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, the Packers bringing in a brand new quarterback and you get to play them early in the year, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of very, very winnable games on this schedule for the Saints. And if they get the kind of production from Derek Carr 
that he's put out pretty consistently in his career, this should be a schedule where they can win a lot of games um, with the defense that they have as well. You know, so um, just going through it, their hardest stretch, I would say, is probably weeks five through 10. Um, that's at the Patriots, at the Texans, versus the Jaguars at home on Thursday night football, at the Colts, versus the Bears, at the Vikings. Uh, and so that's a tough stretch because they have four road games out of six. And one of their home games is a Thursday night football game against a team that I think should be very good. And, and Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, team that was a division round team last year. Um, so I would say the only truly like what you might call easy game in there is, is maybe the Bears at home. But, you know, having to play those other games on the road at the Texans, at the Colts, at the Patriots, despite what you might think of those teams, you know, you got to go on the road to do it. Um, getting a tough, the toughest opponent in that stretch, likely in the Jaguars on Thursday night football, is a tough, tough one. And then they got to go to Minnesota before the bye. Yeah. So the opponents maybe are not going to get the respect from you know people that they might. But like that part of the schedule is is difficult for four road games in six weeks. It's a Thursday night football game. It's a trip to Minnesota. So those are those are you know some tough games. Um, Still, that stretch is probably relatively easy compared to a lot of other teams' tough stretches, i.e. like Philadelphia playing three Super Bowl contenders in you know, a five-week span. You know, so it's not nearly the same, of course. I do think their easiest stretch at, at, at the back end of the schedule is weeks 14 through 18. They get to play three of their divisional opponents, um, two of those games at home, and then versus the Giants and at the Rams on Thursday Night Football, I think there's a really good chance that they have a great, great finish to the season, right? You know, maybe going something like four and one or, or at least three and two in that stretch to finish out the year um, really successfully. Uh, so I think that's kind of my assessment of their schedule. It's, it's actually a, one of the more even schedules is one of the tougher ones that I had in terms of picking out an easy and tough stretch, just because yeah, yeah, I, was I think even looking at no, no feedback as I was going, I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in terms of this is probably one of the more evenly laid schedules that I've seen for any of the teams so far. Um, and it's also just in general, I think, an easier schedule than some of the other teams have relative to my expectations for the team and the teams that they're playing. Yeah, so that all being said, you predict them going 11 and 6. I had them at 9 and 8. I like how when you said it was the most evenly balanced, because I was like, yeah, at the end of the day, that's what I gave them on the record, you know? You win some here and there, you lose some here and there. I mean, basically, it's only two games. Like, that could be divisional games. Maybe, like, the, the tough stretch right there you're talking about where they're on the road. Maybe they, they pull off a couple of those that I didn't think they would or something. I think that's the, the variance within the two games. But, I mean, either way, out of the whole division, like, it's probably one of the better teams we'll look at coming from the NFC South. I mean, it, I think it comes down to this. They have the best quarterback in the division, or at least the most proven. And I think that gives them such a leg up in divisional games. And that is always the meat of your schedule. Yeah. You know, that if I think you're going to go five and one against your division, then that means you only have to go six and five versus the rest of, you know, the teams you play. I mean, you've got to be a 500 club. And, and based on the schedule that they're playing, do I think they can beat the Colts and the Bears and the Texans and, you know, that the the Titans or the the Rams, like 
the Giants, like, yeah, I think they can win a good chunk of those games. So I think they're probably, like I said, I think they're about an 11-6 football team that takes advantage of, um, despite it being competitive, a, a weaker division just from the quarterback's uh, standpoint. Yeah, so my question for you for the Saints is, do you think that Derek Carr coming in can help them make a leap with their offensive play considering last year they had just plug in play system just you know who think who do we think is the better option this week yeah i mean they have struggled you know obviously in the last couple of years without Drew Brees they've struggled to find um an identity offensively yeah. obviously they've leaned a lot on Alvin Kamara it has not helped them that Michael Thomas, it just feels like it's been ages since he was healthy, right? Um, And then transitioning away from Sean Payton last year and all that they've had to kind of deal with, um, I think that's it's their their offense has been unstable. And I think the guy who can bring some stability to them actually is Derek Carr. Um, I don't know that anyone's going to tell you that Derek Carr is like a Hall of Famer, right? But you look over the stretch of his nine years in Las Vegas um, slash Oakland. He threw for 35,000, over 35,000 yards, 217 touchdowns, 99 interceptions. Um, he had a 91.8 rating over that, over that span. Um, his highlights, you know, like his 2021 year, he threw for almost 5,000 yards. He was 196 yards short of, of 5,000 threw for 23 touchdowns. He did have 14 picks, and that can be the knock on him sometimes, uh-huh. is maybe maybe a little too many picks. Um, but then you also look at a season like he had in 2016, where he threw 28 touchdowns, only six picks. Right, So he's had monster years, extremely productive years, years where he's led the league in passing or been near the top in passing. And I think there's a lot of positive things that he's going to bring, if nothing else, just stability, right? And so the the questions that arise with him, I think, are, hey, is he going to cut down on some of the interceptions? He has too many seasons where he's thrown more than 10 picks. And I think that's a – 10 picks is a pretty good barometer of, like, how well your quarterback's making decisions. Like, if he's throwing more than 10, you know, and he's not throwing 30-plus touchdowns, then you're you're probably got real issues, right? Yeah. And that's – that's an issue the Saints have struggled with with their last couple guys, you know, whether it was Jameis or Andy Dalton or uh, whoever it's been since, you know, Taysom Hill, since Drew Brees is retired. They've, they have struggled to find a guy who takes, not just takes care of the football, but makes good decisions, right? So I found, I kind of went back in the archives here and watched some Derek Carr film and was asking myself, like, what kind of quarterback is he? How does he fit in the Saints offense? What are the question marks surrounding him? And I, I thought there was no better game for him than the Seattle game last year. They went to Seattle on the road, a tough environment against the Seahawks team that was very good, made the playoffs, surprised a lot of people, really good defensively, you know, Geno Smith, all that. Yeah. And they went on the road and won in overtime, right? Kind of a barn burner, 40 to 34. And Derek Carr did some things in that game you know, to like tie the game at the end and get them in position to make this happen, to win the game. He also struggled and threw a couple picks in the game. And so it was just, it was a very conclusive, yeah, it was a very like conclusive sort of microcosm of Derek Carr's career where it's like, ultimately, I think the things he does well override 
maybe some of the negatives he has. And they ultimately got you more wins than, than losses, right? Which I think will come through with the Saints. He's not perfect. He's not – I don't know that a lot of people are, are caring for him to be called elite by that sense, but I think he's very good. Um, and so we'll just watch the film a little bit. Right, so here he is, the second play of the game, or first play of the game actually, runs a little play action, tries to get the ball to Devontae Adams, and just it's just an inaccurate throw. He actually had Adams open, I think, and he just missed him. And so this isn't necessarily like a poor decision, but it was a poor throw. And so that that's kind of some of the stuff sometimes with Derek Carr. It can be a mixture, right? Oh, whoopsie. <laughs> I do that a couple times here and there. It can be a mixture of him making poor choices within an offense and or him having issues in terms of either being on the same page with the receiver or making an inaccurate throw, right? And so hopefully this time I can pause it and so start it over right at the point, the break point of the route. If you see this, right, that is like Devontae Adams is breaking open. And if he puts it on him, you know, maybe it's not a completion, but it definitely doesn't feel like it's an interception, right? He threw it way out in front of him um, and kind of over him. And so it ends up being a pick, right? So not, not you know, and he's also thrown into double coverage. So maybe not the greatest decision either, right? <laughs> Here's another one now on the next drive. And that's a great throw. He throws the the kind of uh, the, the whole ball, right? Which is like right in the, the soft spot of kind of the, the too high look that the, the Seahawks were giving him right between the corner and the safety, right? That's a great throw. Layered it right in there. Then later in that same drive, in the red zone, he just he's patient. He doesn't get happy feet. Waits for the matchup he likes and gets the ball. Delivers a strike for a touchdown. Oh whoa whoa! Yeah, oh, the Amir oh Abdullah uh, Selly was crazy, huh? <laughs> but like, cool. you see how he's he's just guy. see how patient he is though. Like that's the thing you like about Carr. I don't think he got happy feet. He didn't look distressed. He trusted his offensive line to protect him. But now here's a play later. He off the off the play action again. And he just tries to force a ball to Foster Moreau. You know, it's just not a good throw. It's not a good decision. Yeah, It gets tipped up in the air and it gets interception. Defenders right there for sure. And it gets intercepted. I mean, like, it's just not, it's not a great choice. Yeah, that you know? post in the backside behind that would look a little, a little better. But then similarly, we get a little fun trick play action from Josh McDaniels here. And he just... He, See how he just delivers the ball? He doesn't try and shove his arm. He doesn't try and do anything. He just says, oh, I got my guy open. Just get him the ball and let him score. You know, he doesn't. That's the thing I do like about Carr. I don't think he's, I think he's a team first guy. I don't think he's like trying to do too much. He's just, oh, I got my guy open on the trick play. Just get it to him. Don't do anything crazy. Touchdown. Now we get into the nitty gritty, like the good stuff. This isn't a, you know, a minute, 34 seconds to go. They have to tie the game. He beat, breaks out of the pocket. Look at that throw. I mean, come on. Come on. He may not be like an elite quarterback by – Yeah, and he may not be an elite quarterback by people's definition, but that's an elite throw. I'll tell you that. There aren't a lot of guys making that one. Yeah. Just boom, put it right in the corner where only his guy could go get it. You know, and so the question is just like, can he be that more consistently? That tied the ball game with under two minutes sent it to overtime, allowed them to go win the game in overtime. So, again, Derek Carr, not perfect, but certainly the best body of work of any quarterback in this division right now. Nine seasons 
in Oakland slash Las Vegas. And I would say, you know, no matter what you think of them, uh, pretty successful in that, in that time. Yeah. I will say as well, before we flip the page is he's definitely good at winning some close games. I mean, that's what they did when they made the playoffs a couple of years back. So a lot, a lot of upside for the saints, if they could get some better gameplay out of him for sure. Yeah. But the next team we're going to take a look at is going to be the Tampa Bay Bucks. They went eight and nine last year, finishing first in their division, and they ended up losing that first round in the wild card in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, again, had some, had some, this is a team that kind of suffered a lot of, <laughs> a lot of losses in the offseason. Um, we'll just roll through them quick. Quarterback Tom Brady retired for real this time, it appears. <laughs> Um, they lost Donovan Smith, their tackle, longtime left tackle, Shaq Mason, um, who had been there, you know, with Brady for, for all the, for the last few years. Um, really good player. They lost D lineman, Akeem Hicks, running back Leonard Fournette, receiver Julio Jones, cornerback Sean Murphy Bunting, safety Keanu Neal, tackle Josh Wells, wide receiver Bashad Perriman. A lot of losses. A lot of guys who were, um, either veterans that they added in the last couple of years or guys who are part of their Super Bowl team. Um, so they, this is a, they lost a lot of veteran leadership um, no matter what. So that's, that's tough. It's always tough to kind of flip the page on a team that was really good, very successful. And now you kind of had a lot of guys age out and you're starting over a little bit. Yeah. Um, they did add some guys in the off season. Obviously they added quarterback Baker Mayfield they added um, a personal favorite of mine, D-line, Greg Gaines. Great, really good player. He's very good with with the Rams the last few years, um, playing next to Aaron Donald. Um, they lost guard, or they added guard Matt Filer, running back Chase Edmonds, and safety Ryan Neal um, as well. But they uh, they also had some guys in the draft too. Yeah, they brought in D-lineman Kalijah Kansi, who we talked about in the interior mm-hmm. D-line episode. and then. A tackle, Cody. Oh man, Moch. No, Cody Mock. Yeah, Mock. Oh, I wasn't getting that. I was thinking more <laughs> of like, like you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they added a couple other guys too later in the draft. They they drafted um another edge guy and Yaya Diaby, and then a tight end that I liked in uh, Payne Durham. Kind of mentioned him as one of my honorable mentions when we talked about the tight ends. Gotcha, yeah, and the, the coaching staff and management they got is Jason Liked, I'm going there, at the general manager position. Head coach, they got Todd Bowles, you know, handpicked by our guy TB. Now he's gone. Offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. Oh, we got a, okay. <laughs> that, that's rare yeah. to see, especially he places. <laughs> he, uh, he replaces Byron Leftwich. Uh, obviously at that offense coordinator spot. So it'll be his first year. It'll be interesting to see what he can do with Baker Mayfield. A lot of running the ball, if I had to guess. D coordinator, they got Todd Bowles, also head coach. So taking over the play calling himself, it looks like. Yeah, he'll be calling the plays. He did last year in his first year as the head coach, and he appears he's going to do the same thing again as the head coach. He'll still be the, the defensive signal caller. So um, that kind of ties back to that question I had the other day, if they just mm-hmm. choose to do it or not. So that's, that's yeah. Um, so looking at the Tampa Bay Bucks offense, so one big change that a lot of fans will notice, 
Tristan Wirfs appears to be moving to the left side. He had been their right tackle the last few years, but with the loss of Donovan Smith and sort of restarting, retooling their offense, one of the major moves they made was moving Tristan Wirfs to the left tackle. Pro Bowl level, you know, nearly all pro level guy at right tackle. We'll see how he does at the left side. It's, you know, obviously very different mechanically from like a body functionality standpoint. But in general, I think the guy is a pro's pro, really good player. I'm sure he will be very successful there. At left guard, you've got Matt Filer, the guy that they they brought in an addition in their offseason. Um, Ryan Jensen comes back at center. Cody Mock, their draft pick, appears to be slotting in at the right guard spot based on how things fall right now. And then that would leave uh, Luke Gadecki at right tackle. Not a lot of depth on this Buccaneers offensive line. I do like their first five, but if any of those guys gets hurt, I don't feel great about anyone who might step in after that. They had that same thing last year too. Yeah, it was very difficult for them to replace any any cog, you know that that fell out of that offensive line. Um, at quarterback, obviously Baker Mayfield, and then Kyle Trask. You know, will be battling it out for the starting quarterback spot. It appears that Pink Baker will be the guy. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Running back Rashad White and Chase Edmonds um, will take the majority of those carries. Um, at the receiver spots, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Russell Gage are a good trio of starters behind them. They lost. They lost some guys. You know, I mean, Julio Jones is no longer there. You know, Scotty Miller is no longer there. So there's there are some significant losses in terms of their depth, and I'm not sure how they're going to replace those guys. The tight end spot, they've got Kate Otten, and then also, as I mentioned, Payne Durham coming in as a as a rookie. Defensively, this defense has been good for a while. They've got some big names. Um, name, you know, one of their better players last year was Joe Tryon uh, Shoyinka at the edge spot. Guy who was a high pick for them a couple years ago, been a pretty productive player. They also have Yaya Diaby to go with him now. Um, Inside, Vita Vea and Greg Gaines, Kalaja Kansi, Logan Hall. Those guys all make up a good bit of interior D-line depth. Um, should all play quite a bit. On the other edge, um, Shaq Barrett's been there for a long time, been very productive. Um, and then Anthony Nelson. That's a fantastic front a group of dudes on, their, on the front line for them that are all pretty productive players. That's why their defense has been pretty good. Um, then you also talk about the two linebackers, Devin White and Levante David arguably the two best combination of linebackers in the league. A lot of speed, a lot of smarts, can cover, can run, can hit. You know, they do it all. Um, so you love those guys. They they have arguably still, even with this team, they still have maybe one of the most talented front sevens. Definitely. And then at the uh, nickel corner spot, you know, you've got D Delaney. Their secondary took some hits, lost some guys, but they still have the trio of Jamel Dean, Antoine Winfield Jr., and Carlton Davis III. Those, are, those guys are pretty good. And then they bring in Ryan Neal. They also have Nolan Turner as a, as a backup safety. So I think the thing that I see with the Bucks, there's still some, some big names in some spots, a lot less depth. And that's going to be a real issue for them when the injury bug you know, inevitably hits in certain key positions. I just don't know that they have the depth that will step up and be able to to help them when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's always tough. Especially, you know, no matter what the team is, granted, 
they're, it looks like they're having struggles just outside of that leading into the season. But if that happens, it's just it's just a just a play, you know, like it just goes downhill. Nothing you can do about it. But the schedule, let's take a look at that. Week one, they they start off in Minnesota versus the Vikings. Week two, they got the Bears. And then they got week three, the Eagles on a Monday night game. That, you know, bless their soul. Good luck. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> for real. The biggest stage, and, you know, it's going to be going to be a hard one for sure. At least they're at home. It's early, it it's early in the year, though. It's early, yeah. so you never know. True. Week four, they get their first divisional game playing. I, it's not the Mercedes-Benz anymore, is it? No, I think it's like the Caesars Palace, oh. the Caesar or something like that. I can't remember this. Yeah. It's I think it's Caesars Palace sponsors them now. Like, there you go. yeah. Anyways, they're playing the Saints in their dome. Not formerly that I always call Mercedes Benz, but I, I don't think it is tough. Week five, they get their bye. Uh, you know, unfortunate, really early, really early bye week, the earliest yeah. that you can have. Dang. So they get it the first week possible. That so that's unfortunate. Yeah. But following the bye, they get a couple home games. They got the Lions. Week six, week seven, they got the Falcons. So they finally have their second divisional game almost halfway through the year. And then if I had to guess, we're about to start looking at that tough part of the schedule. They got week eight in Buffalo on a Thursday night game. Week nine on the road versus the Texans. And they week 10, they got the Titans at home. Let's see, and then they travel out to the Bay, week 11, playing the Niners, week 12 on the road again, playing the Colts. Colts are coming off their bye week right there. Mm-hmm. Let's see, week 13, so they finally face the Panthers, week 13, then be at home. And they get a couple road games right here, traveling out to Atlanta, week 14, week 15, they go out to Lambeau. That sucks, especially being <laughs> from... Like that late in the year and it's cold. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That yeah. Won't be fun. You're in you're in the nice weather in Tampa Bay, you know, that's unfortunate. And then week 16 and 17, they get a couple home games before their last game of the year. They play the Jags. Also gonna be a tough game, but at least they're at home. Week 17, they got the Saints, and then they close out on the road in North Carolina versus the Panthers. Yeah. I mean, you kind of talked about it, the tough stretch. You know, I think they're. I think the tough stretch for them is really weeks three through eight. Um, we talked about the Eagles on Monday Night Football. You got to go to the Saints. You do get the bye, but then you play at home versus the Lions. I think the Eagles, Saints, and Lions could potentially be the three division winners. You know, the the winners of their individual divisions there. So if you have to play three division winners back to back, you know what I mean? Three. Those are three games in four weeks with the other the other week being the bye. Then they do get a little bit of a, like, okay, they get a home game versus the Falcons, but then they got to go on the road to the Bills on Thursday Night Football. Yeah. I don't know if they win a game in that five-game stretch, honestly. <laughs> I, I'm, if they do, maybe it's at home against the Falcons. <laughs> but I, seriously, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a tough stretch. I don't know that they're going to get a whole lot of wins there. You know, yeah. I could see where you were going. Like, there's tough games after that. You know, I mean – the fact that they also have three road games out of the next four, and and one of those being with the Colts coming off their bye week too, you know, and at the Niners, that kind of thing, it's it's tough. I actually, interestingly enough, I kind of thought I was like, well, if there's an easy stretch, it's like weeks nine to fourteen, just because their opponents 
in that stretch, the hardest one being the Niners. Everyone else is like, oh, maybe they could, you know, Titans, Texans, yeah. Colts, Panthers, Falcons. Like, there may be some wins in there, but a lot of those games are on the road. Um, so they have road games at the Texans, 49ers, the Colts, and the Panthers. Obviously, the Colts coming off the bye. And then home games versus the Titans and the Panthers. I don't think this team's going to win many games. Neither did I. But I see that stretch as maybe being their best chance to pick up one or two wins. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe against a team like the Texans or the Panthers, yeah. Falcons, you know, maybe even the Colts. Um, but it's going to be, I think it's just going to be tough sledding, sledding, um, sledding. Sorry, can't talk. Um, in general for this team this year. Yeah. I mean, so this is the first time we've had this. What I could tell you with my three wins, I was assuming maybe one of the Panthers, one of the Texans, and then, you know, maybe the Colts or the Titans being another one. What were you thinking with your two? Um, and I figured they're going to win a divisional game, whether that's the Falcons or the Panthers. I think the Saints will beat them twice, but, you know, maybe they catch the Falcons at home in week seven, that kind of thing, or maybe they – they catch the Panthers at home in week 13, you know. I figured maybe they'll win another game, you know, maybe at the Bears, the tight or the Texans or the the Colts, something like that. I I just I think by about week 13ish this team will know that it's not very good and it's likely going to be kind of putting itself in position to pick Caleb Williams. If I was them, that would you know, with the team that I have, because this team is not that bad, it just you're really severely hindered at quarterback right now, unless Baker Mayfield has a truly career bounce back year. And you just don't have the depth in some of the like at receiver, there's not a lot of depth right now. If, if you know Godwin gets hurt and he's a guy who's been known to be hurt, yeah, I don't know who comes in and plays a slot for them. If Mike Evans gets hurt, I don't know who fills that like number one true X receiver role for them. Yeah. You know, if any of their offensive linemen get hurt, I don't know where that depth comes from. Defensively, they should be pretty good. But I could see this offense being anemic. I could see the defense getting frustrated, blitzing too much, trying to make things happen. And I've seen when defenses that are good kind of press to make things happen because they know their offense isn't good, and that's when things go downhill. Yeah. And and players do are trying to do too much, and they give up plays that they normally wouldn't give up, right? You've seen that. That's kind of a a tale all this time when you have a struggling offense and a defense that knows it needs to pick up the slack. It tends to make mistakes trying to cover for that offense. And so I could see this being that kind of year where it just, by week 13, they're sitting there saying, yeah, this just isn't the year. Let's try and get ourselves in position to take Caleb Williams. You know, and I don't don't know that I'm saying they're tanking. I don't know that tanking necessarily happens in the NFL the way it might in the NBA. But I could see this team not being very good and then having not a lot of incentive to win in the last five weeks of the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel you on that one. Let's see. So my question for you for the Bucks was, do you think either of their quarterbacks, whether it's Baker or Kyle Trask, do you think they're good enough to help their team win games? I'll start with Kyle Trask. There's like no film on him, right? He hasn't played in an NFL game for real yet. Um, so that makes it tough to evaluate him. All you can evaluate is what he did at Florida. He was productive at Florida. He had some issues mechanically that caused him to be a later round pick. However, the Bucks take took him and he's been the backup of Tom Brady for the last couple of years. And so you never know what he might've picked up. 
he could be a very good quarterback for all we know. Um, and so I'm, my answer with him is just completely inconclusive. I don't know. And generally when it's, I don't know, it, it's not a great feeling for a franchise, right? So, True. you know, we'll see. He could totally prove me wrong. And this is why I say this division is still so up for grabs, despite what I think of the Saints and Derek Carr. If Kyle Trash just came in and was really good, this Bucks roster still has a lot of remnants from the Super Bowl on it. And maybe all of a sudden they, they proved me completely wrong. And there is a world where they're winning nine games and winning the division, right? Yeah. Or... On the flip side, Baker Mayfield is one of like the most up and down quarterbacks I think I've ever evaluated from like a time spent in the NFL. He had a fantastic rookie year. He threw 27 touchdowns to 14 picks. Few too many picks, but to throw 27 touchdowns as a rookie, that's pretty good, especially when it was the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Yeah. Right? 2019. Sophomore slump, right? 22 touchdowns to 21 picks. Really not good. A lot of people were wondering if he was the guy that bring in Stefanski in year three. And he throws 26 touchdowns to only eight picks. They go to the playoffs. They win a playoff game on the road in Pittsburgh, right? If you remember that. And then they go to Cleveland or they go to Arrowhead and they struggle against the Chiefs. But was that big last year? Uh, second to last year, I believe second to last, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a fantastic 2020. So, you know, you're feeling like going into 21, it was like, okay, Baker's the guy for the Browns. He's got the right coach in Stefanski. They're surrounding him with some other players. They're coming off this divisional playoff run. Everything's great. Then they go into 2021 and he throws 17 touchdowns to 13 picks. He's hurt. He's got the shoulder surgery on the off off throwing arm and everyone's kind of wondering. And then he just gets, he gets dealt in the off season to the Panthers. They bring in Deshaun Watson, who they know is going to be suspended for 12 games or whatever it was, 11 games. And they still picked him over Baker. And it was kind of like a real shot to Baker's confidence. I think, I think that was a real, I think it hurt him whether he would say that or not. And I think he, I think he even has said something to that effect you know, publicly that it, it sucked and I could imagine. So now he goes to Carolina with not a lot of time to pick up the playbook and um, has a terrible time there. I mean, couldn't, couldn't have been probably a whole lot worse than it went. And so here are some, here's some clips from, from that stretch, right? This is a game in Baltimore that they lost 13 to three. It was just terrible. He had multiple chances towards the end of the game to kind of try and get them right. He's trying to make plays. He's throwing interceptions, right? This is, Baker's a lot of Baker's interceptions. If you watch him come when he's like trying to make things happen and he's doing too much and he's just making bad decisions. Cause he's definitely reminds me a little bit of like that Brett Favre old school gunslinger, not afraid to just be like, I'm going to fit this in there. And it causes you to make mistakes. Right. Yeah. There's a play where it's like, Hey, he's shorter. Everyone's always had that concern <laughs> with him. Yeah. He's a short guy, so like you wonder about his ability to get it over the D-line, their hands. And this was a play where that showed up big time. You know, got his hands up, deflected the ball. It becomes a game-ending interception, essentially. So that was his, his time in, in Baltimore, or in uh, Carolina. It just wasn't good. He threw six touchdowns to six picks, and um, I believe it was like nine games of production. Like, that's awful. It was terrible. I really thought that um, 
I had high hopes for Baker going into last year, and he played so miserably in Carolina that it was like, okay, I guess it's over for him, you know? And then he comes to the Rams, and he has a little bit of a run with the Rams, right? I mean, he comes in and plays this Thursday night football game against Las Vegas late in the year, in which he gets signed on, like, late Tuesday night or whatever it was, and then plays in a Thursday night game. Like, early Wednesday morning, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, he gets the facility, plays in a Thursday night football game. I mean, obviously, practically barely knows the offense, knows the players, whatever, and uh, comes in and just, like, they're down two touchdowns towards the end of the game, right? And he just conducts multiple drives where he's just throwing strikes to Van Jefferson and Ben Skoranek and Tutu Atwell, guys who have not really made a lot of yeah not not made a lot of bones in in the nfl i mean van jefferson and and skoranek were part of their super bowl team and but they weren't necessarily key cogs right look at he's throwing strikes over the middle um he's making things happen right obviously he got some helps with with some raiders penalties in this game (laughs) that kept some stuff alive for him but he was making plays like that's a that is an nfl throw right there right um here's another one He's going to get pressure off the edge. He's got to throw the out route with pressure in his face while he's getting hit. And that's a dime, dude. That is a dime. And I think the thing that you learn when you watch Baker is when he plays more on script, he's actually a better player. If he gets sort of off script and he doesn't have it there and he's trying to kind of make plays in, um, in space and make things happen when they're not there and he's, cook, you know, he's trying to cook up himself. Yeah. That's when he that's when he can struggle. I mean, look at this throw to Ben Skoranek. Like just trusting a guy who he had known for like twenty four hours. He puts it up <laughs> and lets him go get it, right? I mean, this this was like an incredible set of circumstances for him. That is a dime throw. It's not an advisable throw because it's really into yeah. double coverage. But he made but that's the thing. That's the beauty of Baker. That's why I say he's kind of that old school gunslinger. And here was the touchdown that basically, you know, was for the win. To Van Jefferson. That's a pretty throw, too. Drops it in the bucket. I mean, seriously, dropped it right in the bucket for a team that hadn't won a game in weeks, really wasn't, you know, didn't have a whole lot of incentive to go win. And he like energized the Rams in the last few weeks with his play through four touchdowns to two interceptions. Was a much different player with the Rams than what you saw in Carolina. And so, again, he's just up and down. He's just so up and down. You never know what you're going to get from him. I have no idea what he will look like in Tampa Bay this year. I have no idea. I mean, yeah. my guess is it won't be very good. Obviously, I, <laughs> I, I projected them yeah. to go 2-15. and 15. If I thought he was the dude, I would not be projecting him to go 2-15, and 15, right? Yeah. I just think I think he's going to have a short hook is the problem. And mm-hmm. if he's bad in the first five games, my and I told you I think they have a tough stretch early, yeah. he may just get pulled. And they're just going to go with Kyle Trask and say, hey, it's okay if we're not good. We'll get – eventually. Yeah, we'll get Kayla Williams. Yeah. So, like, that's that's the problem is I don't know that he'll be given the whole season to show you the good Baker and the bad bit. You know what I mean? And if he starts yeah, bad, yeah. I don't know if he'll have enough time to show you the good. So, that's why I just I don't see this team being a winning football team this year. That's my opinion. Yeah, I had another question real quick. It, you don't have to take too long on your response. It's just based off what you told me and then what what happened last year between the Panthers and the Rams. Do you think Baker is better depending on who is like his coach around him? Or is it just like it just depends on how because you said that one year when he got Stefanski, he was balling. 
Last year, he went to the Panthers, didn't do much, and then went to L.A., and, you know, he kind of balled. Ended up dropping a 50 on the Broncos, even. We didn't, you know? Well, I think there are – you can make excuses for him, right? You could say that, you know, his first couple years with the Browns, he didn't have stability in the coaching staff, and it was difficult for him to be successful, and that might get you a pass. I might say, okay, that's valid. It can yeah. be tough if you're a young quarterback, even though he played well in his rookie year. You know, he didn't have the great follow-up year. And then they, they got a new coach in Stefanski, and it was like, okay, you saw it in year three with year one of Stefanski. Yeah. But then he doesn't play well in year two with Stefanski. Mm. And then so the excuse was like, well, he had the hurt shoulder. And it was really that, and that was the issue. And I, But I do think it was telling to me that the Browns traded him and went in favor of Deshaun Watson. If they really believed that the shoulder was the biggest issue and that he was going to be healthy and he was going to be good moving forward – they wouldn't have mortgaged their entire future on a guy that they knew was going to be suspended for over half the season instead of rolling with the guy that they had in-house. That says a lot. Carolina, that coaching staff knew it was close to being on its way out. And so, again, we could make some excuses there as to why he didn't play well there. He didn't have a lot of time to learn the playbook. But then, you're right, and then he goes to the Rams and he plays well with McVay. So, does it make a difference who's calling the plays and what system he's playing in? yes. But I also would say at a certain point, the excuses are become too much and that you have to recognize like either this dude is a an NFL quarterback or he's, you know, a consistent starting level NFL quarterback or he's not. Yeah. And I think the the reality is right now you haven't seen enough from Baker to be like, yeah, to put your stamp on him. I just think it's I feel that. They, there's too many excuses to be made. And um, I do like Baker, and I think he can be a good player. I just, but it just hasn't been consistent enough. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, another team that just picked up a quarterback, being in the draft. They were looking at the Panthers. They went seven and ten last year, finished second behind the Bucks, and they barely missed the playoffs. In that case, being because they didn't win the division. Yeah. Um... Had some had took some tough L's this offseason. I mean, the biggest one being DJ Moore. You know, they had to do that to get up to get Bryce Young, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it sucks that Bryce Young will not get to play with DJ Moore. That is a bummer, I think, for them. And he's gonna be that loss will be felt. But, you know, they they, they did it to bring in Bryce Young, and so I understand from that standpoint why they had to do it. They also lost quarterback Sam Darnold, um, D. Lyman, Matt Ioannidis, uh, offensive guard Pat Elfline, another quarterback and Philip Walker, who started a number of games for them, linebacker Damian Wilson, receiver Andre Roberts, running back Deontay Foreman, linebacker Corey Littleton. Lost a lot of kind of guys that are not flashy names, but did some things for them on the edges, right? Played, yeah. played a role for them. They did bring in Adam Thielen. At the receiver spot, they brought in safety Von Bell, tight end Hayden Hurst, D lineman Shy Tuttle, running back Miles Sanders, quarterback, you know, a little veteran presence, Andy Dalton, and then safety Eric Rowe. Um, so they brought in some depth to replace some of the guys they lost, obviously, in the NFL draft. The big name there being Bryce Young, right, Joe? Yep. Yeah, Bryce Young. And then another one looking at wide receiver Jonathan Mingo. Mm, I like Jonathan Mingo. He's big. You know what he reminds me of? Calvin Johnson. 
No, um, he actually like his his um his like frame and just like he's he's not big as in tall. I mean, he is tall, but he's big oh. as in like rocked oh, out. Like BK, another Ole Miss guy, kind of reminds me of AJ Brown. Now, I'm not saying he's AJ oh, Brown. Okay, okay. don't get me wrong. But you know how AJ Brown and even even to a certain extent, um, his um his running mate in Seattle now, um, DK Metcalf. Those guys were like huge, and everyone was like, "Whoa, who are these guys out of Ole Miss?" They they were like good at Ole Miss, but not great. But they had these huge frames, and then they've both been pretty successful receivers. Obviously, AJ Brown is like a dude, dude. Yeah. But um, Jonathan Minko kind of has that same sort of built, so gotcha. I like him. Gotcha. That's got me juiced for them because, I mean, based off their additions too, I like all the the offensive skill dudes they brought in. They, mm-hmm. you know, Miles Sanders from the Eagles, Thielen from the Vikings. Like those are solid dudes. Just a matter of getting that team with the young quarterback. I mean, Hayden Hurst too. I like Hayden Hurst. Yeah. At tight end too. I mean, they also they um they added some other guys in the draft that I like. I mean, one of them being safety, uh, Jamie Robinson. You remember I liked him out of Florida State. They I drafted mm-hmm. him in the uh, I think fifth round. A couple other guys they drafted Edge, DJ Johnson, and and a guard and Chandler Zavala. Was was you said a guard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> That's where we see those types of players with those names. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the management and coaching staff of the Panthers, they got Scott Fitterer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. General manager, head coach Frank Reich. We got offensive coordinator Thomas Brown, and then D coordinator E.G. Evero. Yeah. Yeah, a couple guys, Thomas Brown and, and Evero, getting some opportunities. Um, Thomas Brown was on the McVay Ram staff for a long time. He, by all accounts, is a dude. I'm excited for him to get this opportunity to be an offense coordinator because he certainly has earned it. So, um, pump for him. And then, looking at what they've got going on offensively, the Panthers, um, Iki Kwangu at left tackle um, was one of the one of the kind of guys that stood out for them last year. Played really well. Brady Christensen at left guard, Bradley Bozeman at center. They bring in Austin Corbett from the Rams to play right guard. And then right tackle, they've got Taylor Moten. Got a little bit of depth there too on that right side with uh, Chandler Zavala, who I mentioned they drafted at guard. Mm-hmm. And then Cam Irving as a backup tackle for them. Um, gives them you know a little bit of depth there. At quarterback, you know they've got Bryce Young, who projects to be the starter day one. But they also have Andy Dalton, veteran presence. He becomes like the new... It just feels like Andy Dalton's going to be like the all-time bridge quarterback for everybody who drafts a quarterback number one now. It just feels like that's going to happen to him. They still have Matt Corral, who they drafted in the third round a couple years ago as well on that roster. Another guy who, again, maybe gets an opportunity just being the third activated quarterback on game day with that new rule. That's the one thing about that new rule. I know it's good for teams, you know, so we won't have to see what happened to the 49ers in that NFC championship ever again. But it's also like an, an interesting opportunity for like guys who play quarterback. It's there's a lot more like real opportunities now being activated on game day as that third guy. I mean, it it's like okay now instead of 64 quarterbacks in the league, it's really like there's like 96, you know, because there's always going to be three guys activated for every team on game day, and so it definitely opens up the door. You know, maybe they won't play more. The the chances are slim, but like it does add the chances like a little bit, right? Just because they're activated, so it's a real thing. Um, so I'm excited for for that. You know, 
Um, at running back, Miles Sanders, and then I love Chubba Hubbard, who's a good. Those are that's kind of a fun duo there at running back for them. And Chubba Hubbard just has a fun name. So, <laughs> at the X receiver right now, you got Terrace Marshall Jr., who they drafted a couple years ago out of LSU, but then also Jonathan Mingo feels like he could take that spot over, maybe you know, pretty soon here. At tight end, Hayden Hurst and Ian Thomas form like a pretty good duo. In the slot, you've got Adam Thielen, but they also brought in uh, LaVisca Chenault, um, who's a fun player. And then outside, DJ Chark and Demir Bird. So actually a really good group of skill players where I think they have, uh, they have the stuff around Bryce Young, where if Bryce Young proves to be a capable rookie, this team could be better than people think. I mean, because there are, there are decent skill players around them. Yes, they lost DJ Moore, but I do like their receiver crew as a whole. I like their running backs. I think they're capable up front. Um, so the interesting offense with the Panthers is what I'll say, and I'm excited to see what Thomas Brown does with it. Um, on the flip side, on defense, um, Brian Burns is the marquee name off the edge there. He comes back. They didn't trade him last year, and we'll see if that pays off for him this year. They, they had added Shy Tuttle inside. Um, Mark and McCall backs him up. They also added Derek Brown and then uh, Deshaun Williams behind him. And then on the other edge, you're Turk Ross Matos and DJ Johnson, giving them some depth there. At the Will and the Mike, Shaq Thompson and Frankie Louvu have been pretty productive players for them, as well as another really good player out of the slot is Jeremy Chin. He's had a, a couple good years there. I like him. Their defensive backfield is good, man. J.C. Horn at corner, Xavier Woods, Von Bell at safety, Dante Jackson at the other corner. And then even Eric Rowe and Jamie Robinson providing depth at the safety spots. I like this team. I like their depth. I think they have good players in different key positions. It's really about the new staff gelling, um, Bryce Young being you know, ready to play quickly and seeing if they can put it all together. Yeah, I will say, like I said, that offense has a chance to be electric for sure. It's just a matter of... How how they pan out, how long it takes for them to all gel. But week one, they they go out to Atlanta, so they got they actually got their first first two games being divisional matchups. Week one's at Atlanta, as I just said, fighting the Falcons. They get a home game Monday night versus the Saints. See, week three they travel all the way to Seattle playing the Seahawks. See, week four they're at home playing the Vikings. This is tough. They got a lot of away games starting off the year. That's unfortunate. Week five, though, they're playing in Detroit. Week six, they travel down to Miami to play the Dolphins. Then they get their bye week. Let's see. Week eight, they come out and play the Texans. Could be fun. You know, two rookie quarterbacks. Texans also coming off their bye week. Mm-hmm. Week nine, the Colts. You know, another another fun one we could look forward to with uh, Richardson over there. See, week 10, they get the Bears on a Thursday night game. Now, that sounds like a really fun Thursday night game. I don't know. It does, right? It does. Uh, Let's see. Week 11, they got the Cowboys. That's a new team we've seen in this division. They're playing them at home. There you go. And then they got three away games right here. They got week 12 versus the Titans. Another team potential looking to have maybe a rookie quarterback play. Week 13 at the Bucks. So they finally play them late in the year. And then week 14, they're playing 
in New Orleans. And then they get three out of the last four at home right here. Week 15, they got the Falcons. Week 16, they got the Packers. Except they're at home, so that's a better game than what the other team we had just uh, on the last screen. Then week 17, they go out to the Jaguars. Play uh, Trevor Lawrence and the boys out there in Jacksonville. Then they close out week 18 versus the Bucks at home. Yeah, um, you know, I do think their toughest stretch is those first six, six weeks before the bye. You mentioned four road games in the first six weeks. Um, and, you know, some of those road trips are pretty tough. At Seattle is not a fun game. <laughs> the Falcons going to Tampa is kind of, or to uh, Atlanta has been kind of a house of horrors for them in recent years. Uh-huh. Um Having to play the Saints on Monday Night Football is one of those home games. The Vikings is the other home game. It's kind of rough. They got to go to Detroit and then to Miami. And, and yeah, I just think that those first six weeks, whether it's Andy Dalton or it's Bryce Young starting right away, I just think that's a really tough stretch and they'll probably be behind the eight ball early. You know, I'm talking two and four going into the bye week maybe. Maybe one and five just depending on – what kind of play they're getting out of that quarterback position, right? And now, I will say this. The easiest stretch of games they have are coming right off the bye. The bye week kind of breaks well for them. It's like they got a really tough stretch, and then they get some some fun games, as you mentioned, coming out of the break against other young quarterbacks, the Texans, the Colts, both at home, at the Bears on Thursday night football is a fun game. Those could potentially be three straight wins for them coming out of the bye week, right? And all of a sudden, they're really energized, and this team looks different. Um, so I do like that. And then, you know, at, at home against the Cowboys, tougher game, but then you get to go to the Titans, to the Bucks again, two more games that maybe they could go win. And so maybe they have like a nice little four and two stretch coming out of the bye week where they, where they pick up some wins, um, and get themselves in position down the stretch of the, of the season where you never know how things could go. I, I see this team as a talented kind of young team, young nucleus coming together. I think they're in a similar position to what I talked about with the Texans and the Colts in terms of just like there's a lot of optimism and hope for this team just in terms of the future just because there's a lot of good players on this team. There's a lot of good players in important positions. Like you have the shutdown corner, J.C. Horn. You have the dominant edge rusher, Brian Burns. You have the left tackle, Ika Mikongwu. You have, you know, potentially a, a really good receiver in the slot with you know, Adam Thielen, you, you have, uh, the quarterback you feel like is going to be the guy. It's just, there's, a there's a difference between having those guys all in place and then having kind of the chemistry and the quarterback ready to go and the offensive coordinator understanding what his quarterback can do. And so now smart money would be that this team is right around 500 and has some really good flashes. And then is like the team for next year that we're looking at similarly, like I think I look at the Panthers the way the Lions kind of went last year. Remember how the Lions struggled getting out of the gate, but then roared to the finish, and they almost made the playoffs. I think they finished, what, eight and nine, nine and eight, nine actually? Eight. Yeah. Right? And I could see the Panthers, and maybe I have seven and ten. I'm not giving them enough credit. Maybe they're more like nine and eight. I could totally see that. Um, I could also see them being a team that's like, you know what? They just get more production out of their players. Bryce Young is ready right away and all of a sudden they're the team going 11 and 6 and winning this division. I think they are a dark horse for the division, but it's really really dependent on Bryce Young. Yeah. So, 
We'll see. Yeah, so you had them finishing 7 and 10. I had them at 6 and 11, very similar. Just, I guess the, the key question, as it is for the whole division, was basically if quarterback get it all rolling for them, you know? But, so, for and, the question for you. Oh, my bad. No, go ahead. I mean, uh, I was going to say, how quickly do you think Bryce Young can come in and be good for the team or even just be a guy in the league? You know, I, Bryce Young, I wasn't shy about my thought that Bryce Young was the best quarterback in this draft. I think the Carolina Panthers made absolutely the right choice in taking him. There's so much stuff to love about this guy on film. Um, it's just a matter of like how quickly he adapts to the NFL, right? And that was obviously the big question. I can reference some of the same film I showed you from before. The thing that I loved about this guy was his poise. And I'm just letting this play while I talk, right? This game against Texas where he's in this two-minute drill. His offense hasn't played well all day. He's been getting hit. He's been getting blitzed like crazy. He hasn't necessarily had his best game. And yet, in the biggest moments, this dude always came through for Alabama. It never felt like he had a moment where you were like, man, please, Bryce Young, get it done if you're an Alabama fan. And he didn't come through, you know? I mean, this guy was um, just just fantastic. I mean, some of these plays where he's shaking off defenders, he's running and going and picking up 15 yards on a play that should have been a sack right? He's making big time throws. He doesn't panic. He just makes stuff happen. All of those things are, they're just all the qualities that you want in an NFL quarterback. And I, I, you know, it's just going to be how quickly does it translate? And that part, I just don't know. I, I think like any other young guy, there will be growing pains and it may be the thing that's going to keep them from being, you know, in my opinion right now, my thought on it is this is just the thing that will keep them from winning the division is going to be that they're going to start slow. And because I think Bryce Young is going to start a little slow, but I think as the season goes and his staff learns him and he learns his staff, he learns the players around him. I think they will be much better down the stretch of the season. And there may be some teams they play on that schedule that are playoff teams that, you know, maybe, maybe the Panthers catch them, you know, beat them late, you know, just like the lions last year. That's kind of how I feel about this team. Yeah, it's definitely one of the teams to look forward to, not just next year, but, you know, the next couple of years following, see how how they could keep uh, the, the the team rolling with the division that they're in and everything. Mm-hmm. Definitely someone to, to keep in mind on who could possibly make a name for themselves in the next couple of years. Closing out the division, though, we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons. They went 7-10, and 10, finished last in the division. Didn't make the playoffs, but I mean, as as you noticed, the division was close. Like you brought it up in the beginning, pretty wild to think about. Yeah, um, some interesting losses. I would say they certainly added more than they lost this off season, but you know, they lost a veteran cornerback in Casey Hayward. They lost the quarterback in Marcus Mariota. Um, another corner in Mike Hughes, linebacker Sean Evans, receiver Alameda Zacchaeus, linebacker Sean Evans. Or I said that, sorry. Um, I put him on there twice. He's so good, I put him on there twice. Um, but uh, so some veteran guys, I would not say that they felt like they lost anything that was critical to their success. They were successful in keeping some free agents. They also added a couple big names. I mean, Jesse Bates is a big name that they added. Calais Campbell. They got him for for a pretty good price for being a guy. I know he's a little longer in the tooth, a little older, but like that's still he's still a big time football player. 
played really well for the for the Ravens last year. David Onyemana, you know, inside the the division steal. Jonu Smith, a guy who has had success under um, their head coach Arthur Smith previously, right? Taylor Heineke is a backup quarterback just in case things don't go right with Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, they added some other guys too, you know, Jeff Okuda at corner, former like top five pick, right? Caden Ellis at linebacker, another interdivision steal. Mac Collins at receiver will probably start for them right away. Scotty Miller, another guy at the slot who could start for them right away. Bud Dupree on the edge, who's probably going to start for them right away. So they added potentially one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starters in free agency. Plus another one in the draft that I'm sure we'll cover here. But like, yeah. that's a really good, they had a really good off season that, and not a lot of people are talking about it. It's just kind of funny, but, and then I'll probably talk out of the other side of my mouth and say that their <laughs> record is going to be worse this year than it was last year, despite me hooting and hollering about their off season, but I'll explain yeah. later. So yeah, there so you go. The most notable draft pick, obviously being B. John Robinson at the running back position. Probably the best running back that, that came out this year. Mm-hmm. The offensive tackle, Matthew Bergeron. And then they got an edge rusher as well, Zach Harrison. Pretty that, that additions list was long. I didn't know they had that many. So yeah. I'm looking forward to see how it plays out. Because you got me more juice for them than I thought I could ever be. <laughs> well, and then they also drafted Clark Phillips, the third, who might end up starting for them in the slot, slot corner too. So... Potentially between the draft and free agency, they might have added like eight new starters, or at least eight new guy, eight guys who were going to play a very key role, if not starting. Right. So that's a good off season. It is. Yeah, and then the dudes that help make some of those decisions. We got general manager Terry Fontenot. It's a silent T. Head coach Arthur Smith. Offensive coordinator Dave Ragone. D coordinator Ryan Nielsen. So like, going with a new uh, DC this year, and we'll see if that changes things for them. Defensively, I think more so than anything, personnel changes will help. But just going through their their starters, left tackle, Jake Matthews, been there for, for some time, been a very good player, almost 10 years now. The new guy that they drafted, Matthew Bergeron, playing at the guard spot, it appears. Drew Dahlman at center. Right guard Chris Lindstrom with uh, Jalen Mayfield as a backup guy who they drafted a couple years ago who's not. He uh, high pedigree, hasn't had a lot of success, but could potentially still play for them. And then Caleb McGarry at right tackle. Um, the skill positions, a lot of top 10 picks here. Drake London at the X, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts at tight end with Jonu Smith as well being another um, important weapon for them. Scotty Miller inside at the slot has had a couple of productive years with Tom Brady in Tampa. Matt Collins coming off his best year in Las Vegas. Um, also, Kaderil Hodge gives them some more depth at receiver. At quarterback, the big, big question, Desmond Ritter and then Taylor Heineke being the guy that may compete with him. Um, then at running back, they've got a trio of fun guys. Bijan Robinson, Cordell Patterson, Tyler Algier all do something a little different. I do wonder if Cordell Patterson will play more significant reps at receiver this year with Bijan. I, I do imagine there's a fun scenario where, you know, Arthur Smith gets really creative and Drake London, Bijan Robinson, Cordero Patterson, Kyle Pitts, and Jonu Smith are all in the field together. 
and you can kind of play them all in different places. You know, Kyle Pitts could become a receiver. It could be a tight end. John Smith could become a receiver. could be a tight end. We saw Johnny Smith take handoffs in the New England offense. B. John Robinson could kind of play running back or receiver. Cordero Patterson could play running back or receiver. This could be like the first positionless offense in football. <laughs> you know, they talk about that in basketball all the time. I wonder, could we get like Falcons positionless offense? Um, be tough for defensive coordinators actually to game plan for that just because you're always so personnel based. Yeah. Um, so it may kind of change the thinking, but um, it could be fun. I mean, they're, they're, I think the Falcons are a team I'm excited to watch this year. I don't know if they're going to be really, really good. Um, I, I'm not sure. You know, obviously you'll see the record prediction. We'll talk about it. I'll explain my thought process on it, but I think they're going to be fun to watch, you know, and they were pretty fun to watch last year. So we'll see. Um, defensively, Lorenzo Carter on the edge has been a good player out of Georgia for them for a couple years. Grady Jarrett, you know, perennial, just professional there inside at, at the nose. David Onyemana added, as well as Calais Campbell and Jalen Dalton, kind of round out their interior defender, uh, D line defenders. And then on the edge, um, Bud Dupree is a guy that comes over in free agency that I, I really like for them. Caden Ellis. And Troy Anderson fell out their linebackers, kind of lesser-known guys, but good players. Uh, Clark Phillips the third and Mike Hughes are in a position battle for that, um, you know, that, uh, that uh, nickel corner spot. And then at the corner spots, you've got A.J. Terrell and Jeff Okuda, both big-time names, recently high picks. Terrell, A.J. Terrell's had some success in Atlanta. Okuda sort of struggled with some of the schematic changes in Detroit. And I don't think that makes him not a good player. I just think when they drafted him, they wanted to be one thing. And as they went through the year last year, they figured themselves out defensively as the year went. And it made sense for them to kind of get a corner who better fits them schematically and to kind of ship Jeff Okuda out and get what they could in return. Still think he's got potential to be a very good corner. So this is a sort of buy low on a high value kind of player for Atlanta. That's a smart move. Um, and then you got Jesse Bates the third and Richie Grant at the safety spots with um, DeMarco Hellams, you know, a lesser known talked about guy out of Alabama who I like, um, and Jalen Hawkins at the safety spots backing them up. Yeah, I remember when they shipped out Okuda. That was like big for right prior to the draft for who the Lions were looking at. So, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely something that played a role prior to April 20, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. let's see the schedule the falcons got though so they start off at home versus the panthers as we briefly talked about already week two they got the packers at home makes life easy they don't got to travel up there they got two ooh, two games away they got the lions so they travel up to detroit week three week four they go overseas they're playing jags in london that's you know the travel's always tough but that could be fun Let's see, week five, they're they're playing the Texans at home. Probably one of the games we can see them taking a win right here. Week six, they got the Commanders, so Taylor Heineke's former team right there at home. Week seven, they got the Bucks. They travel out to Tampa Bay. Week eight, they go to Tennessee, where they got the Titans coming off their bye week. Let's see, week nine, they play the Vikings at home. And then here's another team that we haven't seen play these this division yet. They got the Cardinals week ten in Arizona. You know that's tough. That's gonna be 
ah, no, maybe, maybe it's not as hot as I think it would be by then. And then following that Cardinals game, they get their bye week, week 11. So that's a good spot. Haven't seen that with many of these teams in this division where they get their bye at a decent time. Coming off their bye, they play the Saints, who also has their bye, as we talked about earlier in the episode. Week 13, they play New York, but they're playing the Jets, not the Giants. <laughs> True. They travel out there. Yeah. Let's see. Week 14, they got the Bucks again, playing them at home this time. Then week 15, they play the Panthers. That's a long stretch between those games. Yeah. It'll be a different team by then. But, they, yeah, they go to Carolina, play the Panthers. That That's unfortunate. They get a lot of away games towards the end of their year right here. 16, they're at home, though, versus the Colts. Another potential win we could see them pull off. And then 17 and 18, as I said, both on the road. They play the Bears. Another Another weather game that could possibly be in action for them. And then week 18, they play the Saints at uh, New Orleans. Close out with that divisional game. Funny scheduling quirk. Is it me or does it feel like every team in the division plays the Colts Bears back to back somehow throughout their season? <laughs> yeah, no, it <laughs> it's, it's like some order somehow, some way, like throughout the year, that all these teams go like Colts Bears back to back. It's just kind of funny. But um, yeah, I think. Looking at their stretch, they have they also similarly to the Panthers, they have a t- they have a rough stretch coming out of the gate. Um, weeks three through eight are just pretty pretty tough. You know, you figure you got to go to the Lions, playing Jacksonville in London. You get a home game against the Texans and a home game against the Commanders, but then you got to go on the road at the Bucks and on the road at the Titans with them yeah. coming off their bye. Um, you know, this is a last place schedule. You know, so with the way scheduling works, generally this is supposed to be a more favorable, um, you know, schedule know for them. Played out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the way things go, it's like you play the scheduling is set up. You obviously play your six divisional games every year. Then yeah. all four teams in the division play an another NFC division, which for them this year would be the NFC North, the bears, the Vikings, the lions and the Packers, all four teams in the division play those, those guys. Then, they also play a team out of the, a, an AFC division, and this year for them, that's the AFC South. So the Texans, the Titans, the um, the Colts, and the who am I missing? The the Jags. I don't know. Jaguars. Thank you. So just like everyone else in the division, so that makes up right there. That is, um, you know, fourteen out of your seventeen games, right? Your other three games are based on where you finished. And so you play the other last place teams. So they play the Cardinals because the Cardinals also finished last. They play the Jets because the Jets also finished last. They play the... Who else on their schedule? I'm trying to find it right now. The Commanders. Commanders also finished last. They're playing that division. Yeah, so that's how it works out. So that's generally it's supposed to be more favorable. Now for them, what kind of sucks is like, the Jets finished last in a highly competitive division, and the Jets are obviously a much better team this year. So it doesn't always work out in your favor that way. You know, it just yeah. that's how it's set up. So, um, but in general, I do think this is a favorable schedule for them. Um, chances to pick up some wins in different places. I mean, I gave you their tough stretch. Their easy stretch, I actually think, is the kind of finish of the season, um, weeks 14 through 18. They get home games against the Bucks and the Colts, road games against the Panthers and the Bears, and then finishing out the year at the Saints is probably the toughest game in that five-game stretch. But um, I think they they could be able to go like two and three, three and two down the stretch there. Um, in general, 
I see this team as a six and 11 football team. And I told you, I actually think they're much improved from last year. Um, couple things with this. Number one, I think their seven and 10 last year was a little bit of fool's gold in terms of they won a couple games that felt really fluky to me last year. Um, it's like one of those teams where like two things go differently and they're actually like a four and 13 football team, <laughs> yeah. seven and 10. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one part of it. So I think that maybe their seven and 10 was a little fluky and that despite going me having them going six and 11, I actually think it's a more solid six and 11, you know, maybe Falcons fans don't want to hear that. So that's one part. The second part is I think they're in a very similar situation to the Buccaneers in that they don't have a quarterback on the roster that I just feel, I I don't think Desmond Ritter's the guy. Um, There's limited um, game film on him from last year. And we'll see he's in year two, same head coach OC that all that good stuff is good. And he's got plenty of weapons around him. I think I look at them in the Bucks and think they're in a similar quarterback situation with two guys where Atlanta feels like they're going to go with the more inexperienced, lower-round quarterback draft pick, where Tampa feels like they're going to go with kind of the retread veteran, <laughs> yeah. been in a couple different places, right, and not had as much success. You know, the, the Falcons' other option would be Taylor Heineke, who you could kind of compare to Baker Mayfield in a sense, and instead they're going to go probably Ritter or in the Bucks version of that would be Trask. I think they're just very similar situations, but I would say I'm paying the Falcons an ultimate compliment in saying that I think the rest of their roster is four wins better than the rest of that Bucks roster. And that's just kind of how I look at it. I really do like this roster. I think it's it's got a lot of things that you want, and yet I don't feel great about the quarterback position for them. I don't know if Desmond Ritter is the guy who's going to get the most out of all these talented skill players that they have. And this defense was a real problem last year. It was a bigger problem for them than their offense. Their offense was actually very productive. Defensively is where they struggled. And so they added a lot of new names. And that can always go one of two ways. That can be really, really good. And you're just highly improved. It could also be like, hey, there's some growing pains. You got to, there's some new dudes. There's communication issues. There's things that you got to work out. And so with so many new starters on defense, I think it could be hard for them to be like their best this year. And it may take them a year to get there. So those are the reasons I have them going six and eleven, despite feeling like from a talent standpoint, this roster is much upgraded from last year. Yeah, no, I feel it. I I mean I had them at four and thirteen. I think just based off you just assuming you're in the role with Ritter, I just felt like I don't I didn't see him winning many games. Granted, the talent around them is great, like Bijan, obviously Corderell Patterson, you can put him wherever on the offense basically. But it's just a matter of what their quarter play look, quarterback play looks like, and if you run the ball a million times every game, like that, that only gets you so far. But <laughs> he does have good weapons for sure. I'm not going to knock that. And Definitely, I agree. I mean, based on my four wins, I don't know. I feel like you could put basically any team with a rookie quarterback, right? So like the Texans, it's possible to pull that one out. Let's see. Uh, Cardinals, they weren't that good. Who knows if Kyler Murray's rolling by then or what for their, you know. And then the Panthers, maybe they get one of those, like, off the off rip, you know, maybe they could pull that one off before Bryce Young can, like, de- develop a flow. And then uh, one more, I don't know, maybe the Bucks, right? And, you know, we didn't project them to do very well, so maybe they split those. I don't know. That's where I was, like, going with it. 
But my question for you for this Falcons team, do you think either Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke can perform at a high level for them at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I know I kind of talked about this. I touched on this in the record prediction just because it, it was pertinent to how I felt about the team, obviously, right? But in general, you know, if you're looking, I told you I, I'm not a huge Desmond Ritter fan. Um, there's limited film on him, but I just, from what I saw, I think he's um he feels like a game manager quarterback to me. Not going to try and make a whole lot of big time throws is going to try and now that the thing is that may be what this offense needs with so much talent. And I may be just really down playing or, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, underestimating, you know, Arthur Smith as a play caller, all of the talent around him that will maybe just make the game very easy for Desmond Ritter. And so he won't have to do too much and they can still win games and their defense will be so much improved that, you know, but I, I don't think I'm counting on that defense to be as again, despite bringing in so many more, you know, so many better players this year, I still think that defense is going to have some growing pains and they're going to need their offense to win them a a few more games this year. And uh, I just, I don't know if I feel great about Desmond Ritter doing that. Taylor Heineke's kind of the opposite. He's more like, you know, Baker Mayfield and that he loves to be a gunslinger. His biggest problem in his career is like Baker has been, (laughs) he throws too many picks. He makes too many bad decisions because he trusts himself so much to just fit balls in windows. Um, But looking at Ritter last year, he played in four games through 708 yards, you know, less than 200 yards a game um, through two touchdowns. So he's throwing less than a touchdown a game. No picks, you know, so that's a good thing. But it also, again, highlights the idea. He did not, if it wasn't open, open, he wasn't throwing it. You know, he was kind of checked down Charlie. Um, (laughs) Now, this was the very last game of the season where he threw both of his touchdowns was in the last game against Tampa. So I did see this film, and this was the best stuff that I watched from him that I pulled for this this tape. So if you're a Falcons fan and you want to see good stuff, like here he is getting out of the pocket, creating a play. That's that's good. Um, that that was a sign that made me say, hmm, okay, maybe I'm not giving Ritter enough credit. Maybe there's something there. You know, you kind of you can see him. He steps up in the pocket. He doesn't like it. Then he flushes to his right, gets the ball to Drake London, throws a little behind him, but he gets it on him so he can go make a play. That's a big play on third and five, right? Another play near the goal line here. Little play action. Doesn't see it right away. Scrambles to his right. Kind of floats the ball up there and gets you know gets it to his tight end again. Makes another play with his feet. Touchdown. These are things that I didn't see in his other three games that he played in that I did see more of in that last game. And so maybe this was him getting more comfortable. This is maybe what allowed the Falcons to feel comfortable going in the offseason was saying this was their guy. And so maybe it's there. Maybe they're they're you know they would know better than me. They're, those coaches are working with them every day. Yeah. Here's another great throw to Drake London where he just lets him clear the the backers in the zone. Gets it puts it right on him. Let's him go 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 uh, get a first down. Right. This is highly irrelevant, but the the ref right here when he flips from the ball just isn't even nowhere to be paying attention. <laughs> watch, watch, watch. If it if it shows on this one, like just all right. He's just like ah, I can't get to it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So here here's a here's an interesting thing like Cordero Patterson out at receiver. Again, maybe we see that more this year with Bijan Robinson in the fold. I kind of like the idea of that. Gives them. A lot of guys on the field. Um, this is a nice little layered throw to the tight end out of the slot. Gets it over the backers, but puts enough zip on it that the safety can't get there. It's a big-time throw. 
again, there was some stuff I did see on this film. It's only one game. And um, so who knows what it, you know, could mean nothing, could mean everything for his development. Um, here's another play near the goal line. Again, doesn't have it right away. Flushes a little bit to his left, keeps his eyes downfield, gets it to a wide open receiver. Goes through his progressions really well here. Looking, scanning, moves his feet well, finds a wide open guy, gets him the ball. It's a touchdown. So if you're a Falcons fan, that's the tape that makes you say, hey, you know, Desmond Ritter can be the guy, and we're going to have so much talent around him, and we have a great play caller in Arthur Smith that we're going to be very successful offensively. And I may be, you know, sort of uh, underestimating what that looks like, and I, I'm totally acknowledging that possibility. However, I don't know if their defense is good enough, even with the new names they added. And so I'm still not sure on Desmond Ritter, and even if that works out, I'm not sure on their defense. So there you go. So either Desmond Ritter needs to become a guy or he needs to outscore everyone being on top of the fact that he becomes a guy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm getting at either their defense has to make such an improvement that they can be successful, highly successful with Desmond Ritter as like a game manager, or they need to um, be so much improved or, or Desmond Ritter needs to become like such a good quarterback that it's okay if they're giving up points defensively. Yeah, one of those two things needs to happen, and I guess I'm saying I don't feel good enough about either one of those two things happening that I'm predicting better than like kind of a mediocre, similar finish to what they had last year. Uh, it makes sense. It's it's going to be a tough one, but better than that, we got our banger coming to you. Banger of the week, man. Um, so there's a new movie out. I have not seen it yet. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I have not seen the movie, so my banger is not the movie. What I have listened to is the album that Metro Boomin put out, yeah. and there are a lot of good songs on that album. I had like a day where I had a kind of an hour-plus drive, yeah. so I put the album on just to be like, oh, it's Metro Boomin, you know? Usually he's yeah, yeah, yeah. good stuff. And uh, – I saw the features that were on it and everything. It's like, oh, you got some real artists. You know, you got Future, 21, like a lot of dudes on there. Yeah. And so I just put it on and let it play through. And the first time through, I was like, oh, it's good. You know, second time through, I was like, ooh, yeah, okay. This is this whole album. I like it. Listening to it from front to back too. I could see where, like, I feel like I know the vibe of the movie based on listening to the album. Yeah. So um, do yourself a favor and go look at, you know, listen to that album. album. Um, one of my, let me look real quick. My favorite songs on there are probably the first three songs were probably my favorite, I think. My homie said too. Annihilate, Am I Dreaming, and All the Way. All three of those songs were like really good in my mind. So um, it makes me excited to see the movie too, you know, yeah. even though it's like, an animated film. The first one was so good. It's like one of the best animated films I've I ever mean, seen. That was basically what the real Spider-Man was, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so. That was one of the movies I was talking about that I needed to go see is that one and then Fast and the Furious. That's another one. Dude, I, you I, never, you got to set the bar low for those ones just because, you know. I'm not going to lie. That one. The last Fast and Furious movie, and I hope people don't hate on me for this, but the last Fast and Furious movie I watched was the one in like 2015 when it was Paul Walker's last film and he died oh, during yeah, like yeah. the making of it or right after 
yeah. it was made. And I haven't watched one of them since just because I haven't been able to bring myself to do it. And yeah. also, it's kind of funny because I haven't watched them. And all I've heard from everyone else is like, dude, these movies get crazier and dumber. And I've seen enough yeah, clips yeah. where it's like no, it's, cars, it's flying in, cars flying in space and stuff. And I'm like, I feel okay about not watching these movies. I feel like somewhat validated in my choice there. So I don't yeah. feel bad about not seeing them. That's how I feel now. But the way I see it, it's like I've seen all the other ones. So why would I stop now? You know what I mean? Like totally not judging you for your choice to watch it. (laughs) Not at all. No, it gets dumber and dumber and it makes me mad. (laughs) But there's one thing I'm going to tell you. It's they're still going. There's a reason, you know, like (laughs) they're they're making money, dude. I'm not hating either. I'm not hating. I'm not hating at all. I just have chosen not to watch the films. (laughs) No, no, I get this. Trust me. Like, the, honestly, uh, I think that the last good one they made was probably four. And that's pushing it. Like, I could tell you. Yeah, the first, like, three or four were really, really good. And then yeah. since then, I've been kind of living off the vibes of the first yeah, few. No, literally, literally. Like, the first one, definitely a ra- like a racing cars movie, right? Second one, very similar. They upped it a little bit. Went out to Miami. Problem, right? They've had to, like, top themselves every single time. Yeah. To get people to keep watching, because otherwise, yeah. like you're watching the same movie over again. Yeah. So they're like, "No, we need to do this with the storyline. We need to introduce this new character, and we need the cars to do this thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the third one, you know, they're in Japan. They get Tokyo Drift, a whole different Dude, vibe. Tokyo Drift might be my favorite one, though. Not gonna really? lie. Yeah, it might be my favorite. I, I like it. It's definitely. I used to watch that one a lot, but Too Fast and Furious is probably my favorite one. Probably one of okay. my favorite movies in general. Fair, but, fair, fair, fair. But yeah, and then you get to four, and they're like going to Mexico, and then after that, it, there's no more cars. It's like <laughs> you strap on a motor that belongs to a space shuttle, and you know, next thing you know, you're jumping across the Pacific Ocean. Like, <laughs> uh, respect to them though; they keep doing it, and people yeah. keep watching, and they're yeah. making millions of dollars. So, yeah. not uh, mad at them. <laughs> <coughs> well, I just want to say before we close out today, Joe. I love doing this with you. Appreciate yeah, it. You get too. to hang out with one of my best friends every week doing this. And if people like listening to it, that's a bonus. That's a plus. If, you, uh, if you're if you still listening with us, subscribe to the pod, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Um, check us out on YouTube if you want to see our pretty faces while while listening. You watch the game well. film. Yeah, the game film. You get that f- from me for free right there. Um, and, uh, you know, feel free to comment on our stuff. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to see in the future. Tell a friend about us, promote us, help us live on our content. What do you say, Joe? Tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah. Tell a friend to tell a friend. You know, it's like, it's like the biggest Ponzi scheme, right? It's like, you get a guy to help them, you know what I mean? That's what it is. It's yeah, yeah. it's that. the old thing that like people used to be like, huh, if you cash out this person yeah, uh dollars, yeah, yeah. then they cash out <laughs> somehow you end up making money. It was like a weird thing where dude, if we all just do this in a circle, you make money. <laughs> it was yeah. like the biggest Ponzi scheme using like Cash App and Venmo. <laughs> Remember that? That was like a, a trend a couple was, years ago. It was like COVID times, like twenty twenty one. Yeah. Was yeah. Was, people, people had nothing better. Yeah. <laughs> people had nothing better to do. Yeah. Uh, good uh, hilarious all right my man well we appreciate you all listening and uh we'll be back in your time next week and our time in a couple weeks we'll record again 
And uh, I believe we'll be talking about the AFC North, one of the most competitive divisions in football, a division in which all four teams went three and three in the division last year. That's going to be a fun one to talk about. Yeah, that's a, it's a fun division. You know, we might even get a chance to see one of those teams. Maybe who knows? We still got a plan on that. We'll see what happens, but Bengals. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. But till then we got our guy, Ray Ray taking us out. I turned on the news one day and seen that the whole world gone crazy. Seeing people killing, seeing people dying off for no reason. Maybe we lost our way. I know someday we'll be okay. We gotta stand up and make a change. And realize that we are the same and we are just Blue to the phone, oblivious to what's going on. I be writing songs, hoping that they write my wrongs. People crying out for help, but nobody here. Unless somebody turn up dead, then nobody care. Being aware is considered a rare commodity. We living in democracy, overflow with hypocrisy. One-sided mind signing up to coast the game. How you supposed to make a change if you still think the same? I believe everybody got an angel to understand the situation. Look at both angles. I was taught to put myself in my opponent's shoes for a minute and see how you will react to you. I turned on the news one day and seen that the whole world gone crazy. I seen people killing, seen people dying off for no reason. Maybe we lost our way. I know someday we'll be okay. We gotta stand up and make a change. And realize that we are the same and we are just You don't got money, they don't care how they treated you. You ain't important if you ain't popping on the media. Pretty soon, honey's gonna be looking for a like and a uh, for a follow and a faith for a swallow. Man, I feel hollow what I'm saying. But I promise at the rate we going, I ain't playing. I'm trying to speak on the platform, ain't worry about a fortune. I don't think a man can tell a woman about abortion. Who are you to act and judge like you the man above? Same sex, but God want him to feel the love. They say he never make mistakes, so I ask why when I turn on the TV and see another kid die. I turned on the news one day and seen that the whole world gone crazy. Seeing people killing, seeing people dying off for no reason. Maybe we lost our way. I know someday we'll be okay. We gotta stand up and make a change. And realize that we are the same and we are just human. I ain't better than the next man. The only difference with me is I can see the effects, fam. Find a way to get some peace, man. This life is lethal. At the rate we going, I'm afraid to watch the sequel. And I ain't trying to pump gas in this situation. I just write what I observe in this occupation. Hoping and open eyes and you realize what real eyes can see. And now this kills life. I turned on the news one day and seen that the whole world gone crazy. I seen people killing, seen people dying off for no reason.